We're going to talk about Jonah today. Uh, the book of Jonah is actually one of those crazy missionary stories. And I love those. If you're here in the Sunday school hour, that's kind of what I did, was told a bunch of those crazy stories. Um, I just got back from Egypt, and uh, I heard this story about these two Egyptian brothers in their 20s who had the same dream about Jesus on the same night. Muslim guys, and they were scared to tell each other because, uh, you know, you're not supposed to, that's not supposed to happen, right? You're not supposed to uh, believe in Jesus. And uh, uh, to abbreviate the story, the younger brother uh, contacted someone who was uh, part of International Messengers, an uh, uh, Egyptian missionary, and ended up coming to Christ. And after a period of months of being discipled, got up the courage to tell his brother that uh, uh, I've actually contacted this guy. I've been reading the Bible. I've given my life to Jesus. Um, I'm a follower of Jesus now, which is, you know, a scary thing for them to do. And uh, so <clears throat> he finally got the gumption and told his brother, and as he started, you know, we met this guy at this shawarma stand getting lunch, and that day, you remember that guy? And the older brother says, oh, did you have a dream? And starts saying, well, I had this dream, and it was the exact same dream, they had the exact same night, and then they met this missionary guy, and younger brother followed up, and then later, after younger brother, you know, confesses that he actually is following Jesus, the same type of story happened a little later with older brother. And so these, these kind of, God does stuff that is beyond our daily, um, beyond our norms, you know, of course he does, right? We know that. God does stuff that's beyond our hopes, we know that too. But God does stuff that we can't ever script or, or, or plan or strategize. It's like, like I said, crazy, crazy stuff. And when you read the book of Jonah, if you've heard it from the time you were a little kid in VBS, it's easy to forget this is one of those. I mean, really, really uh, off the charts uh, strange. Um, Jonah's the guy that was in the fish, right? Um, but Jonah's faith and missionary efforts, uh, if you read the whole text, they actually left kind of a lot to be desired. You know, if you were shopping for who's going to be the missionary we want to send across the borders and, and reach the mighty Assyrians, I don't think Jonah would have been your guy. Um, <clears throat> It's also an amazing grace story. It's the kind of story that shows us what God's like, what God can do, and how God often does some of his best work in people that seem like they're some of the most dysfunctional and messed up people that he probably wouldn't be likely to use. I think that's Jonah. And as long as we're being honest, that's probably me too. You know, that God would apply his grace 
on my life and use me beyond what anybody could have scripted, that's a grace story. And so the title here, Just Like Jonah, I think maybe we have a lot in common with him that we, we don't initially realize. Because um, God likes to send people and use people whose faith is still pretty small. God likes to send and use people who still need a lot of healing and who've still got some dysfunction all tied up in themselves. It seems like God delights in doing that, and that's a big part of what his grace is. Years ago, we uh, uh, had a lady in, who's in her 50s and wanted to go and be a missionary in Slovakia. And we don't just send someone, okay, go do that. It's, you know, go and serve with someone who's already doing that and then take the next steps on your own. But start with somebody. Well, all our missionaries in Slovakia were like, this isn't, you know, she's going to come home in a straitjacket. You know, we, we, can't, we can't take, you know, her on and bring her in. It just, there were a whole bunch of things that made it seem like this will never work. And now, 15 years later, she's got like, I don't know, you know, 130 different ministries going or something. It's like she's there, she's working in a gypsy village and now in the second gypsy village teaching these women to sew and doing a discipleship group and like 12 more things I can't even remember. But that's how the Lord works. You know? Let me just tell you, here's where we're going with this message. Um, it's a, a statement right out of uh, the text. God is merciful and compassionate, filled with unfailing love toward the lost world. Um, God's also pretty active in showing the same traits, his mercy and compassion and love with reluctant missionaries like me and probably some of you. Um, a little bit of an overview before we read the text. Um, Jonah chapters 1 through 3. Jonah is unique in the books of the prophets in the Bible. Uh, usually when you read the prophets, what you get is God's message to those people. Um, whether it's a foreign people or, or Israel or Judah. But in Jonah, the focus really is on the prophet himself and what God's doing with him. And so you, you see his story and his journey a little more than you do in some of those other books. Um, but Jonah was called by God to do missionary work. He was sent as a Jew to the world power of his day, the mighty Assyrians. The Syrians were, like in a geopolitical sense, the hated bullies, um, the bad guys. They were known for their cruelty when they conquered, there are still ancient texts that can be read today that talk about the atrocities of the Assyrian kings. And story after story of the humiliation, the torture that they were known for. And it was part of their gig, you know, intimidation. Make the conquered people fear you. Um, and so you can imagine uh, when God told Jonah you're going to go to Nineveh, you can imagine there was some reluctance, right? 
it wasn't just that Jonah was like, yeah, I don't really want to follow the Lord. Probably he was scared. He was scared because God's calling him to follow to a place that seems like, you know, the gates of hell type of environment that God's calling him to charge into. You can probably also see a little bit of uh, national pride. Everybody knew the Assyrians were gobbling up nations, and uh, uh, they weren't far beyond the horizon. Uh, so if Jonah goes and preaches to the enemy, and somehow God shines favor on those guys, what does that mean for us as a people and a nation? I don't want God to reach them. They're the bad guys. They're coming for us. We want God to be against them. Um, a little bit of, uh, of nationalism and pride. So chapter 1, just quick review. God sends Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah gets on a boat, goes the other way, flees to Tarshish. Um, then, you know, God sends the fish. They throw Jonah over. Fish swallows Jonah. Chapter 2, Jonah prays this beautiful prayer uh, kind of right out of the Psalms from inside the fish, asking God to save him. Chapter 3, the fish vomits Jonah up. Um, yeah. Not the, the normal travel method when going to the mission field, right? Everybody always complains about the airlines nowadays and, and losing our bags, and it's like, well, it could be worse. It could be worse. Um, so Jonah goes and ends up in Nineveh, and uh, in bold, I want to say this, everyone repents. That's what it says. From, from the greatest to the, to the smallest, or the oldest to the youngest, or however your translation puts that, all of them repent. Like, maybe the greatest revival in recorded history. Yeah, maybe. This incredible, great city of its time. Um, so now I want to read with that in mind. Here, here we are, this reluctant missionary who kind of got made to do it. You know, be careful when you say no to the Lord, right? Because you know Jonah's story. He, the Lord pretty much made him do it, right? So you ought to just go the first time. But anyway, Jonah gets there, and everybody repents. And then we get to chapter 4. And we're going to read that together. And I, I got it on the screen here because I'm using the New Living Translation. And if you just bear with me, I, I'm going to insert a little commentary as we go through. Okay? Ro uh, Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This change of plans, meaning they all repent, that's the change of plans. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became angry. And so he complained to the Lord about it. Okay, time out. Time out. What? God says, go to Nineveh, preach there. Eventually, let's skip all the details, but eventually he does. And everyone says yes to the God of Israel, and Jonah's mad. It just doesn't seem like that's how chapter 4 should go. Like, there should be planning the celebration, 
right? These are the kind of things we write missionary stories about. But Jonah's mad. And he says, Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Jonah says, I knew it. I knew it. That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Uh, again, you get the idea that Jonah has this tone like a two-year-old tone. I knew you were going to do this. You're always like that. You imagine the husband and wife in the argument, right? You don't have to answer if you can imagine that. But uh, uh, I can imagine it really well. I start pointing the finger, and you're always so, and you never, and how come you, and you know, I use those always and never type of statements, and then you follow that with, so, so merciful, you know, you just love me all the time, you know, you and your compassion, you know, it just doesn't make any sense, right? to say that kind of thing in a spirit of anger. And, and But Jonah's mad, and often we do and say stupid things when we're mad, right? But Jonah says, I knew this is what would happen. Let's take the next one, verses 3 and 4. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? So the, the, what I predicted, um, Jonah did tell them, if you don't repent, uh, judgment will fall on, on Assyria. And so that's the part Jonah was hoping for, right? So when he says, just kill me now, if the prediction doesn't come true, he's talking about the judgment part of the prediction. He's not talking about the unless you repent part of the prediction um, and the Lord replies is it right for you to be angry about this and this is something that maybe you've learned about the Lord I'm learning still that when I start to act selfish and like a like a toddler uh, when I get in arguments with my wife in particular, there's lots of contexts, but that one seems to rise up. Uh, the Lord has a way of putting his finger right on it. You know? Um, so you really think this is a situation where it's okay for you to feel this angry? Um, and there's an obvious answer here, right? You know, any bit of self-reflection... Uh, any bit of self-awareness would make Jonah say, yeah, no, <laughs> I don't have a right to be angry about these people repenting. But again, uh, just like Jonah, I can identify a little bit because, you know, in those moments, I'm not real self-aware either. And I stick with my, my guns and stay angry even though it's, you know, kind of stupid. Um, Verse 5. So there's no answer, by the way, to that question. You know, is it right? Is it really right for you to feel this way? 
Um, Jonah went out to the east side of the city. And, you know, I don't know how Jonah went out, but I imagine a door slam on the way. You know, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah storms out and slams the door, and he goes outside, uh, uh, says to the east side of the city, and then <clears throat> he waited to see, he built, made a shelter to sit under, and waited to see what would happen. Waited to see what would happen to the city. What do you think Jonah thought might happen? Why do you think he was out there like watching, not in the city, outside the city, with his eyes. Well, I think Jonah's waiting for Sodom and Gomorrah to happen all over again. You know, like the meteor, you know, the flaming fireball. And uh, kind of, come on, come on, you know. Let's make a 4th of July thing, uh, but, but just they're coming down on us and... and Blow it up, Lord. That's, that's why I think he was sitting out there, waiting, waiting. <clears throat> Verse 6, it says, The Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. Another version says, provided, arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. Remember, this is a desert. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. It's like, okay, here's something. Way to go, Jonah. Some gratitude, you know? Finally, finally a little bit of uh, uh, positivity in Jonah's story. Very grateful for this plant. Um, verse 7. But God also arranged or, or provided. So God provided this awesome plant and he's in the shade and he's drinking his lemonade. And then God provides for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged or God provided for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. And the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Second time we hear this from Jonah. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Verse 9. God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Second time God asked that question about his anger. anger. Is it right for you to be angry about this, meaning the, the people repented and judgment isn't coming? Second time, is it really right for you to be angry about this plant dying? So you're picking up on the idea that Jonah has some anger issues. Um, this time, Jonah answers the Lord real directly. Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Verse 10, the Lord says, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. 
It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? In other words, you didn't tend to this thing. You didn't create it. You didn't make it grow. All you did was enjoy the shade for an afternoon. And now you're really mad that it's dead. Contrast. I think God's saying to Jonah, these are my people. I created these people. I love these people. And you want judgment to rain down from heaven on them as if, as if I don't even care. Where it says uh, in, on the screen here, um, 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Uh, some of the translations, and probably a, a, the best translation or most literal, is people who don't know their left hand from their right. Um, whether that is properly translated as spiritual darkness, I'm not sure. But uh, some have proposed that there were 120,000 little children in Nineveh. Who doesn't know their left hand from their right? Well, I guess when you're pretty little, you don't know that. And it's hard to know if that's exactly what that phrase means. But regardless, the point is, these are people I love. These are people the grace of God is meant for. And what Jonah is implying through his attitude and everything is they're not worth it. They're too evil and too bad, and you shouldn't save those folks. Just like Jonah. Uh, if I'm honest, I can relate to Jonah in Assyria a little more than I, I want to. See, what Jonah said about God way back in the start of that passage was right spot on. He was accurate. God is slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. He says you're eager to turn back from destroying people. So the content of what Jonah knew about God was just spot on. But Jonah's attitude, his connection to God, his, uh, he just didn't really have God's heart, even though he knew some things about God's character. Jonah was so mixed up that he got enraged when he should have been celebrating. Um, and I almost feel uh, uh, ashamed to say it, but in a whisper, I'll admit I understand that pretty well too. I can be pretty apathetic when it comes to people that need Jesus. There's people that live by me, people that go to school with my kids, uh, people who, who I encounter all the time. There's people who are, uh, uh, I don't know if enemies wouldn't really be the right, the right word, but there's people on the other side, so to speak. Okay, so in my humble but 100% accurate opinion, they are, um, they're wrong in their political views. 
they're wrong in their views about society, they're wrong in all of that stuff, and I can get to a place where I see those wrong people as the opposition instead of as the ones God loves so much. Um, for Jonah, he at least had this little excuse that I wanna, I'm trying to protect my nation here. Uh, for me, I don't even really have that. I just have a, a bit of a selfishness that gets in the way of reaching out to people that still need Jesus. Um, sharing about Jesus can create awkwardness, right? Talking about Jesus uh, uh, can affect relationships. So you go from being that nice neighbor, um, the neighbor who does kind things and smiles, to that, to that guy, that Jesus guy, you know? Man, he's religious. And when they say that about you, it's with a little, ooh, he's one of those. Um, sometimes I just want to sing songs and I want to hear sermons that make me feel good and help me understand and know stuff. I don't want to have to actually go and actually care and actually open my mouth and actually sacrifice. And so in a lot of ways, I am like Jonah. Um, but I want to say that for me, here's my hope. The same things that we already said. God's merciful and compassionate. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. And that goes for me as much as it does for the opposition, as much as it does for Jonah and the Assyrians. I can count on that. I know that's how God is. I want to take a second and talk about provision. Uh, that terminology, God provided or God arranged, is used through the whole book. God provided um, the storm. God provided they cast lots and it fell to Jonah. Um, they tried to row harder, and the storm got worse. Uh, God provided the fish. The fish vomited Jonah onto dry land. That's marked as provision also. God relentlessly pursued Jonah. Sometimes uh, it's amazing that even when I'm reluctant, God seems to do incredible things right in front of my eyes. I shared in Sunday school that I've had some kind of weird um, brain problems for about a year and a half. Um, finally, after a long time, we figured out there's some inflammation and it triggers seizures or seizure-like stuff. And uh, that was going on for me in late June and early July. And then I knew I had to go do this thing in Egypt and you caught how I said that, right? I had to go do this thing, uh, this missions thing. And so I got on the plane and uh, less than wholehearted. Um, and uh, it took about 1,200 hours for us to get there. And the luggage got lost. And we traveled from the airport without the luggage you know, for about two hours, and then got a phone call, hey, we actually have it here. 
And so we turned around and went back to the airport at 3 in the morning. And it just... And then I got with these seven Egyptian guys, young men, between 18 and 25. And in our first group meeting, I said, what are you hoping for from this week here? And one by one, everybody said something about the Lord. Well, my mom died a, a few months ago. And I'm wondering if maybe God is the answer to how I feel since then. Another guy had series of losses, lost a job, series of kind of failure type of stuff. Uh, I sort of feel like I'm cursed, and I wonder if uh, uh, maybe this is the week when God will show me if I can be blessed or not. Um, seven of those type of things, and I was expecting, well, there's going to be water balloons and soccer, and we're going to have a lot of, you know, but every one of them. Every one of them. And I went, you know, I, I had, we had a great meeting. And I went back to my room and I just wept. And I said, Lord, <laughs> how did I end up here with, you know, kind of the spirit of reluctance that I brought with me? And, and uh, you know, the timing didn't seem right. My health is a little, uh, and And here I am. And it seems like, you're doing some incredible things, and I'm pretty sure it's not because, like, you know, now I'm here, <laughs> you know? God brought me into the middle of it, and he's reviving my spirit while he uses me to tell these guys about Jesus. Um, even in chapter 4, God provides, and he has to use the worm after he uses the plant, but even in the end, when he's saying, what about those 120,000 people? Even in the end, God's like calling Jonah back, you know? You got to hear who I am, Jonah. You can go to that last one, Jason. Um, let me just give you a few questions. How far will God go to do a soul-saving work? And I think that's rhetorical. There's no end to how far he'll go. To the cross. To the cross. That's how far, you know? There's no end to what he would sacrifice because of his deep, deep love for people that don't know him yet. A good definition of success that what am I willing to attempt? You could maybe define success as a believer, or you could define faith success like this. What am I willing to attempt? Because I understand what God's like. So I understand God loves people that don't know him yet. And so what might I attempt? Because I understand God's heart. That'd be a good way to define faith success. Second, who is God's grace really for? Well, it's for me. It's for me. And it's for Jonah. And it's for me. And it's for you. But God didn't show me God's grace so it could just land on me. 
God's grace is for me, for my neighbor. God's grace is for me, for those seven Egyptian guys. God's grace is for me, for my cousin. And you could probably say the same. God's given you his grace. You've come to know him as your savior. And I I think it's appropriate for us to say, why? Why did God do that for you? Of course he did it because he loves you. Of course. But who else is God trying to reach by giving grace to you? And the third one, do I need to protect myself from God or can I trust him like with everything? I talked earlier about this is Nineveh, this is the heart of darkness, this is as bad as it gets, and God's calling Jonah to go there and Jonah's like, nope, nope, not me. That's somebody else's stuff. That, I'm not going there. And I just want to say God can be trusted. God can be trusted. What if God says, now's the time. This spiritual battle has been raging for centuries, for generations, through, the, through, through all of time, and now's the season, let's charge the gates of hell. I want you to be on the front line. And, you know, I'm like, whoa, gates of hell. You know, that's, that's hot. And... Uh, uh, Maybe a better perspective would be, well, cool, because he's given us the upper ground, right? And so we can fight from a place of advantage and go, you know, downhill as we charge. Maybe we need to say, God can do this. And so my fears, my reluctance, my apathy, my selfishness, my fears, I can just say, okay, Lord, here, here they are. And they're a really big pile of them, but they're yours. And so why don't you just go ahead and do your thing, even with where I'm at, with this big pile of fear and dysfunction and reluctance. Okay, Lord, how about if I just take this first little and then you make it go? Praise the Lord that his grace is enough for me and you. And whatever our issues might be, praise the Lord that he uses people like us and people like Jonah and not just the real top shelf Christians, that he takes people like us that are super in need of grace and heals us and uses us all part of his divine plan. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the opportunities you give us. Thank you for the grace that you've given us, that your love uh, just never can get all the way used up. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have the courage, the faith, faith courage, to take the steps that correspond to what you've put right in front of us. Lord, we trust you, even in the lack of faith, I just pray you'd help us to trust you and ask for your grace that you'd use us kind of just like you used Jonah, that you would do that kind of thing in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.